Hello and welcome to the B2B Sales Playbook Podcast, brought to you as ever by Lead Forensics. I am your host, Joe DiCaro. In this podcast, I pick the brains of industry experts, innovators and sales leaders to draw up a series of playbooks full of actionable tips and tricks for you to take away and run with. For this, the Sales Psychology Playbook, I was joined by Gabe Biondo, VP of Commercial Sales at Saviant. Gabe had a lot to offer up about using psychology in sales and how to leverage it to your advantage. This is a great chat and Gabe was a wonderful guest. There's a lot to take away here. So without further ado, here is the Sales Psychology Playbook with Gabe Biondo. Let's start with a fairly straightforward one. How does psychology influence the sales process? What do we mean when we say sales psychology? I look at it as three different phases. I think if you're starting your sales career, it's all about your mindset. And then if you're in the middle or been in your sales career for quite some time, I think it, it also has a lot to do with um, where you are. Right? The psychology of sales is something that has been studied and written about ever since the dawn of sales. And it's a fascinating topic. I'm really looking forward to this, but I think to answer your question succinctly, that where does it fit in the sales playbook, if you will, it's all about your psychology, your mentality, your attitude, your mindset, how you prepare for the actual job. It's one of the crafts that a lot of folks I come across don't practice in a way, right? If you're an electrician or if you're a plumber, you have to recertify yourself every so often. You have to go back in and learn the new tools. And with psychology, depending on where you are in your career, if you're brand new, it seems like everything's new. But if you've been doing it for some time, you know, I would encourage people to go back and look at their mindset, see if they're stuck in any kind of psychology, see if they're stuck in their mindset and try to unlock that stuff through practice, through listening to stuff like this, reading books, watching YouTube, all that good stuff. Let's assume that someone listening to this is at the very start of their sales career and they're looking to gain as much knowledge as possible. What are some really important things to keep in mind when considering a mindset? The number one piece of advice that I provide everybody is... Go find your top players and go find the number one people in your organization and go really sit down and just as much as you can from those folks. I often tell the story about Roger Bannister and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story, but for those that are brand new to sales, they're perhaps younger, so they're not as familiar with the story, but Roger Bannister is a gentleman that broke the four minute mile. And despite the fact that nobody thought it could be done for 2000 years, ever since they were keeping time, he broke it. But the best part of the story is 46 days later, somebody broke that record. So it was never broken. And then he did it. And then a month and a half later, somebody comes by. And all that speaks to in terms of mindset is knowing that it's possible. So when you enter into a sales career, you don't know what you don't know. But the biggest thing is go find somebody who does know and listen to them and you can eliminate a ton of mistakes and cut off years of experience by just, A, speaking of mindset in the Roger Bannister, just knowing that it's possible. And very often when you're sitting down with these top performers, you realize that there's no secret sauce. Nothing puts them at, a, at an advantage. You sit down and understand that the regular people, they have their own anxieties, they have their own fears. They just have tools to work through some of those things. What you're saying there really resonates with the Tyler Witt, who has appeared on this podcast, was saying about engaging with other people in your company and ensuring that you are taking knowledge from them because they've already done it. So your right. study begins with what they can teach you. In terms of applying psychology to customers then, how can a sales professional use sales psychology to, to build trust and build rapport with a customer. It's important, right? There's things I often say, you can, ex you can accelerate love, right? Especially after a couple of drinks, right? 
You can, <laughs> you, you can accelerate hate, but the toughest thing to accelerate is trust, right? So that is a very big, if we take a step back and ask, how do you build trust using sales psychology? It's just being as real and as authentic as you can and try to record yourself. I think that's a really good thing. If you're in a live type setting, it would be a little awkward to whip out your phone and record yourself, but make sure that you're providing yourself feedback. A lot of folks get into these kind of sales speeches and they become a character of themselves. And all too often the customer just understand they're being sold to. But if you can, depending on what you're selling, if you can establish the relationship based on the value or the service that you provide and have a continuation of that conversation and being trustworthy, being worthy of their trust. So do what you say you're gonna do and do trust building exercises. Sign up for a couple of things that the customer didn't ask you to sign up for and then deliver on that. Elevate the experience. If they've asked you for one, bring them two. Elevate the experience and make an impression on them. And that's the biggest thing is that when you are yourself and doing your absolute best, everybody can see that. And I wanna trust the person that I know that is being their authentic self, but they're also doing their best and you could see that. Do you think it's quite easy to spot when someone's being inauthentic then? Yeah, I do. I think it is because they get into these kind of sales sentences, right? And it's very much rehearsed, not on purpose. It's just because they've been saying it for years. And so they say these things and they'll tend to repeat themselves. You can tell they're not paying attention. They're distracted. They're not listening to your value. They're not establishing the trust. And that, that comes across as very inauthentic. So I, I suppose one of the, something that's been brought up on this podcast previously is, and I think this is speaking to what you were talking about there, is if you stay with that script that you know is familiar to you and don't ever change that up, it's almost akin to, just, you see on LinkedIn, cold call openers is a thing that comes to my mind where people say, oh, can I have 27 seconds of your time? Suddenly, everybody's heard that a hundred times. And it's right. just, you so quickly could recognize that oh okay i'm being sold to you it's not this person yeah. has not come to me saying i can solve a problem for you do you know what i mean does that make sense yeah yes absolutely based on your audience i almost hesitate to say this because uh, i don't want everybody to start saying it but my favorite cold call ever is and then i adopted it and i started using it when i was back in sales is when i answered the guy goes man i absolutely hate cold calling and I bet you absolutely hate taking them. So just get, let's just take five, 10 seconds and figure out whether or not we can do business so I can get onto some other stuff that I hate. And I really started laughing because I was like, that was the most honest opening that I've ever heard. And it was like, I hate cold calling. It's the worst part of my job. But let's just figure out whether or not we can do business. And my automatic response was, what exactly do you do? Got into a conversation, ended up not doing business, but it did only take about 20, 30 seconds. Look, I'm not the right person. I'm not the decision maker. Let me give you, let me provide you this person's name and number and you can go in and talk to them. I think that there's some value in what you're selling. So I think that just goes back to that being authentic and you can tell this kid just hated doing it. He couldn't stand <laughs> it, but it came across as real. And that's why I took the call, right? That's very refreshing actually, isn't it? Yeah, I don't really want to be doing this either, but let's, let's dance. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I really like that one. So then you mentioned that in one of your earlier answers, Gabe, you said that someone's aware that you're not speaking to the, the pain point almost of what you're trying to resolve then. So what I then want to follow up that idea with is a question about what role does empathy play then in yeah. successful sales interaction? 
I think the empathetic salesperson is the experienced salesperson because and that's why it's very important to find your mentors and find, establish the folks that you can go learn from over and over again because empathy in sales is just understanding where the customer is. These days, right? If you're trying to force fit your product or service and sell it, then there, you haven't established enough value or understood the need reasons or wants that customer or organization has to have your product. So when at first, if you're doing enough discovering, enough qualifying, you'll be able to be empathetic. And you and that kind of ties back into trust too, because you can say, hey, look, I know a lot of folks that are going through the same exact thing that you're going through. The empathetic salesperson also wants to partner with that person. Because listen, we all know this, right? If you're selling B2B and maybe not B2C, but if you're selling B2B, most often the person that you're engaging with on an ongoing basis is not the person to write the check. It's gonna be this nameless, faceless person in finance. Um, it's going to be another executive officer somewhere else. And that person is at that position for a reason. If they're a chief or if they're a vice president, they're there for a reason. And one of the attributes of somebody that, that's, that, that qualifies for a position like that is decisiveness. That person that you're engaging with is going to bring whatever it is to that vice president or chief financial officer and they're going to have the decisiveness. He's built his career on saying yes, no. So when you are empathetic to understand why their organization needs what it is you're selling, and then you really truly build that partnership, build a championship relationship with that person to help them go sell it internally, that's really where that empathy comes in. Our listeners wouldn't have seen this, but I was nodding vigorously then. And the reason for that, Gabe, is that I actually did one of these podcasts last year with my dad. He sold software for years and years. And he was saying that one of the key things that they found for selling their product to get a win was building that relationship to then develop into the internal champion. He said, you would not believe the number of times that we would go into a meeting and we were like, I just don't know if this is going to pay off. And this person that they've been communicating with for days, weeks, months, years, however long it was, was almost jumping on the other side of the desk to join my dad and his team and go, look, this is why we need this. And I don't think that would have happened if they hadn't built up the rapport and that relationship, you know? Yep. Yeah. Every business is in business to make money, unless you're a, a charitable organization. If you are in business and if you're in sales, the organization that you're working for is in business just to make money. That's it. Yes, we're, we're, this device is helping people or this tool is helping. It's just to make money. Right. Really getting that up front is key just to understand, like they're going to spend money on your product or service. It better be worth it. And it's mm -hmm. your job as a salesperson, my job as a salesperson to make sure that I demonstrate the worthiness of the product that you're going to invest in. It's these people's job. They wake up and they grab their coffee or tea and they drop their kids off and they go in to work or they're working remotely. And there's a task to solve this problem. And if the product or service that you are representing helps them solve that problem, go help them do their job better. Build that relationship because once they invest in that and you can demonstrate a return on that invested dollar, that person looks really good for making that decision. I, just to touch on another thing you previously said, at, at the start of this episode, you mentioned the story of Roger Bannister who broke the four minute mile and very eloquently just went through very briefly, just went that this was the story of it. With that in mind, how can a sales professional use storytelling to influence buying decisions, do you think? 
everybody wants to be a hero and every story has a hero and a villain and a mission, right? It just starts off. And so I think that when you make your person that hero of that hero story, when you are storytelling about other organizations and other people that are in that position, and it really varies on, I mean, I've never really sold private jets, so I don't know exactly how that sales cycle would go. Certainly there is a need and whoever is representing the other organization has that need. And I think that if you put them in that story or you tell stories about other people that have been in that same position, it helps form the movie in their brain so they can go tell that same story without you being there, right? So if they're in their boardroom, if they're talking to their financial officers or their other heads of the departments, they're saying, hey, look, here's how this, and they'll start telling that story. And so I think that's the importance of storytelling. And it's so, almost like it's social proof then, isn't it? It worked for these guys, so here's where you could be. This question I think is probably gonna be quite fascinating. What sort of things do you have to apply when you're considering body language and then nonverbal cues for selling in person, do you think? It's funny, because I write about that in the book that I published a couple of years back. The vast majority of communication comes through nonverbal cues. So to answer your question, I would say, if you are in sales and, you, and there is some percentage of face-to-face -face sales, absolutely spend two hours on the weekend watching YouTube videos on body language and really truly establishing some fundamentals around it. Because there's nothing worse than for me to be in a conversation and me see the other person that's just completely uninterested or turned off by something that I said, and that person continue to sell and continue to push and like just ignoring all nonverbal cues or body language. So I do think that, look, and not only just body language, I think that every sales professional should spend some time on working on themselves, you know, and with YouTube and Coursera and all of these other tools out there, you can get a lot of this stuff for free. You can learn Mandarin if you want to for free. There's neuro-linguistic programming tools out there that speaks a lot about body language. There's a lot that we overlook or oversee if we're not investing in the human to human connection. The importance of body language is so you are able to either progress the conversation or just stop it, right? That's the importance of it. I don't think that, I do think that it will hurt you if you don't pay attention to those cues. I don't mm -hmm. think it would, I don't think it will, I don't think it will close the sale for you just because you're a body language expert, but I do think that it will act absolutely be detrimental if you're not picking up on the fact that what you're saying is not being rece received well and you continue to push then yeah, that's going to hurt you in the end. It's another one of the many tools that salespeople need in their toolbox, isn't it? So at least yeah. becoming familiar with the terms and everything. And you mentioned something in your answer to that one, Gabe, you mentioned neuro-linguistic programming in terms of body language. Could you expand on that a little bit for us in the sales context? Yeah. So there is a, so there's a book out called Sapiens. I forget the author. I think it's written by, is it Yuval Noah Harare? I yeah. think yes. that's who it is. Yeah, there we go. But it basically goes back to your earlier question. Like the only thing that we really have our differences is the ability to storytell, right? Because birds have these call signs and primates have these, they actually lie. They'll say, hey, there's a bird up there that's going to steal your baby. And then they'll go steal the other one's bananas, right? They actually have the capability and capacity of lying and, and tricking, but they don't have the capacity to tell stories. And so if you look at that and extrapolate that, the one tool that we have that really differentiates us is the ability to storytell, which in includes language. And so if we invest time to understand what people are saying, you will, we, the salesperson, will be able to see basically the momentum or lack thereof, right, of the conversations. If you're picking up on this is a partnership, 
If they're saying, when we implement this, when we get this tool installed, when we buy this, when we purchase this, I have to go and do this. And then collectively, we're going to, like when you're picking up on these small cues, you can keep the momentum going. The one thing that uh, I'll say as a sales leader, the most important thing, this is a little bit of a tangent, to continue chasing after someone or continue to say that you still have an act of opportunity or deal when you haven't talked to the person in two weeks, you've called them, texted them, emailed them. And somehow they just have ignored all that. The average person gets 315, 320 emails a day and a couple dozen texts. They see it. They're just not responding to you. And so that that is one thing too that you can pick up. If you are studied in neuro-linguistic programming, if you're studied, you can start to hear some of those things. This is probably not a deal. They're not saying the things that makes me, that other people have said. So even if you don't read a bunch of books and even if you don't take certification courses, all that stuff, if you're not picking up on, they're not saying the same stuff that other people that actually buy myself are saying. You can match those two together. So there's a little bit of a fundamental neuro-linguistic programming or this very much sounds like that other one that I lost. So I need to pick up on that early and start shifting the conversation, being a little bit more direct. It very much reminded me of something else, which brings us back to mindset. And uh, it was a post, I think, I saw on LinkedIn. It said, next time you're talking about your work or your job or something and you start the sentence with "Ah, oh, today i have to call a hundred people i have to respond to x number of emails if you change have to get to that just that tiny change of one word it can really alter your mindset i've certainly used that myself if i say oh i get to do a podcast with gabe beyondo today it's much better than oh i have to do six podcasts recording today that sort of thing. yeah and it's really those tiny things, right? Like we do, we get to make phone calls today. We get to earn a living. We get to support our family. We get to take trips. We get to invest money into th certain things that we like. And that is true. And it does, you have to think that if your words affect others, which they do, your words affect yourself as well. So how you talk to yourself is very important. And I often say to myself and to others, be nice to yourself, but be objective. And if you really didn't do a good job, you don't have to David Goggins yourself, right? But but you can say, you cannot fool yourself into saying, hey, I really do. It's a job, right? And it can be fun. Sales is my absolute favorite thing to do. Sales leadership is my absolute favorite thing to do. I really love taking, you know, somebody that is new or somewhat average and really getting them over the hump and being a very successful salesperson. And, and a lot of that is psychology. A lot of that is mindset. A lot of that is self-talk. We have 50, 60,000 thoughts a day. And so if you can just catch a few of them to ward off the negativity and just encourage yourself, I get to do this job today. Another thing too is, I learned this from Tony Robbins actually, that, and I may be off, so if there's any neurologists out there, you can certainly correct me, but he did this segment at one of his events where the brain in an R, in, in an MRI, you, we can't tell by looking at those results in the MRI, the difference between being nervous and being excited. So those, the brain kind of fires the same way. So the same physiological events are taking place in the body. So when I learned this, Joe, this is transformational for me because I'm just like anybody else. I get nervous, I get anxious. And I say those, God, this, I'm nervous in the elevator going up walk, before I walk in. And I just changed that one thing. Like instead of saying I'm nervous, saying I'm excited. You're nervous for what the potential wrong can happen. You're excited about the potential right that can happen. And that one shift to stop using the word nervous and start using the word excited 
really transformed the way I looked at opportunity. I started looking for opportunities to be past nervous, now excited, right? I started looking to find that discomfort. And that for me really pushed me and expanded my comfort zone early on in my sales career because it just it was just one one simple word change to, from nervous to excited. Absolutely. It's actually something that you and I share, Gabe, is I've heard that exact same story and I applied it to myself yesterday. That's just how recent it was. I don't think it necessarily works for every scenario, but for no. me, in that instance, yeah. it 100% it works. So what are some common mistakes that people make when considering their psychology in sales? It's a good question. I think the number one thing that people get wrong is that they act like they're not a salesperson. You're a salesperson. You're selling stuff. Stop disguising yourself as that. Now don't, but on, on the flip side of that, another thing that folks get wrong is they play the role of a salesperson, which again is bringing you outside of your authentic self. They start, they change their voice. They get all professional and they start saying things. It's not who you are. Establish who you are. Like Pete Rose, famous baseball player here said, don't change your swing. If you're, in, if you're in a batting slump, don't change your swing. Your swing is what's got you to the big leagues, right? So maybe change your position in the, in the batter's box. So switch some things around, but don't not be yourself. Yourself is what got you the job. You know, yourself is what got you the meeting. Yourself is what got you into the opportunity. And so don't all of a sudden not be that person or try to disguise yourself and try to act like somebody else. Just be authentic. And you're a salesperson. You're there. You've, if you haven't been through any training, folks like you have, tra I have trainings out. You can go get trainings all over the place, but you can certainly, you can certainly count on not succeeding if you are trying to act, not act like you're trying to sell somebody something. Because the whole goal is for you to sell, right? The whole goal, that's it. For you to sell the product or service at it. So don't disguise that. I think that's a huge mistake that people make, especially early on in their sales career. <clears throat> Absolutely. Just to tack something onto the end of that, a common theme across the podcast and the webinars that I do for Lead Forensics, a lot of people, when we're talking about this sort of topic, they bring up imposter syndrome, right? Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome, Gabe? Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Yes, we all do. <clears throat> and a good friend of mine, Brady Johns, he just he just published a book on real estate. He started investing in real estate here in the States years ago. But we, he and I have an ongoing conversation about imposter syndrome because if you don't have it, then you're not being honest with yourself, I believe. That's just my own take on it. But we all have arrived in a situation that either for good or bad or indifference, like I don't belong here. And that's happened to me so often in my career because when I first started, I went to college to play drums. I got a music scholarship and never really thought that I would be in sales. And the way that I got into sales is, I was actually a technician in a garage, right? Because it was very flexible hours and I can go and play in my band. And the, this, <clears throat> the sales leader at the time saw me talking to an attorney and just, I was relaxed and I was very young. And then he said, Hey, I want to try you out in the sales department. I was like, all right. And so I was half the age of everybody else and I smoked him. I was running laps around him. I was, um, but as soon as I got a taste of some of the income, then I was like, this is going to be my career. And so as I continued to progress each and every interval, each and every promotion, I had that imposter syndrome. I thought I'm not capable of doing this. I shouldn't be here. Everybody around me is so much better. And I think that's good. I think it's healthy to have a little bit of that established imposter syndrome because it can serve you. Don't let it stop you, right? That's the biggest thing is just keep going. That's why it's so incredibly important to have mentors 
Because if I call somebody that I look up to and admire, I admire them so much, I'm even afraid to ask them if they ever come into imposter syndrome. And then when I finally muster up the courage to do, they go, oh my God, I just had it yesterday. And you realize that we're all human and it settles the nerves a little bit and gets you to keep going. And that's, it's like, an, uh, we opened up the podcast with this, but it's so incredibly important to find the mentors in your life that'll be able to push you, right? Through the toughest of tough. And then once you get through it, you go, ah, oh, that wasn't so bad. And, and now you get to go help somebody else do the same thing. So yeah, I think imposter syndrome is absolutely real. A hundred percent. I heard something actually funny enough. It was on a music podcast a little while ago. And all it was, it was this guy just saying, he was talking about imposter syndrome and he said, the thing that occurred to me that really helped with imposter syndrome, if I'm an imposter, why am I still employed? Why do I still keep getting asked about if I don't belong here? How am I still here then? And so he concluded, I must belong here so I can't be an imposter. He yeah. said just the, the, on the days where that happens, he just remembers that. I thought it was a fascinating take on imposter syndrome. Gabe, I'm going to start to wrap up the podcast here. Just as a final thought, if there was one top tip you'd like to impart onto our listenership, what's the one key thing to remember when you're considering psychology and sales? There's a lot, but the one thing is, and this is going to sound soft and it's okay that it comes across this way, but just, you got to be nice to yourself. It's already a tough enough job. It's tough. You got to be nice to yourself. You got to make sure that you are your best friend because you're the one talking to yourself the majority of the day. And if you're beating yourself up, constantly for making mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, especially if you're new to sales, reach out on LinkedIn, go find your people that are going to be to help you and talk to them, but make sure that, like I said, there's a fine line between David Goggins yourself and then, and then lying to yourself and saying, there's nothing wrong, but <clears throat> find that balance of where, when you do a checkup from the neck up, you're like, okay, today could have been better. You said it with your trade show yesterday, there's nervousness going into it already. But what if you were just sitting there beating yourself up and instead of a hundred things going right and three things going wrong, you just, that would turn it to 97 things going wrong. If you're sitting there just wearing yourself out. So be nice to yourself. is probably my best advice. Gabe Biondo, thank you so much for joining me for the B2B sales playbook. You bet. Thanks for having me. Well, there we go. The sales psychology playbook with Gabe Biondo. Our key takeaways then. Building trust and rapport with customers through authenticity, trustworthiness, and providing value is crucial. Storytelling can be used to create social proof and make customers the hero of their own stories. Common mistakes include pretending to not be a salesperson in your outreach or playing a role instead of being authentic. Demonstrating the value of the product and helping the customer achieve their goals is the key goal of a salesperson. Thanks again to Gabe for joining me and thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to the B2B Sales Playbook wherever you get your pods and give us a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back next week with another B2B Sales Playbook.